Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few of the issues of the day, but really it's your opportunity to chat with the Premier directly to ask your questions and voice your concerns. But please keep it short and respectful. Premier Danielle Smith is ready and waiting to take your calls or text. The numbers are 974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. Premier Smith, welcome to today's show. Well, hello, Wayne. Pleasure to see you again. Thank you. Three questions to kick off today's show before we go to those phone and text lines. The federal just transition announcement, health care, there's an NDP proposal out, and yet another poll. I'm sure it'll be uh, only a, a few of many to come in the coming months. Now, the Just Transition Plan, or as it's now been relabeled by the Trudeau government, the Sustainable Jobs Plan. A couple uh, parts to my question. First of all, it doesn't seem to be the boogeyman that you warned about. Nothing said about phasing out the energy sector. Just a, a broader statement, if you will, of recognition that global demand for oil and gas is decreasing. The jobs, understandably, will be impacted. The net zero goal by 2050 still there. It hasn't really changed. But that's already a commitment uh, by the pathway alliance of the major oil sands players anyway. So if the oil sands companies aren't concerned, why should we be? We should be still concerned and because when I read that report, it looked to me like it was the same report they had intended to publish, but then they just inserted a few things in there to make it sound like they were not that they, that they were working with us. So they've inserted a couple of things about carbon capture. We're pleased to see that. Hydrogen, we're pleased to see that. But one big glaring omission was LNG exports. Right. I mean, if you look at our nation, the way we really will be able to help the world in reducing global um, global emissions is by exporting clean LNG to displace fuels that have a higher pollution value and also higher emissions. And that wasn't mentioned even once, yet their emissions reduction plan was mentioned many times. And I should tell you, that's what I'm worried, is the second and third shoe to drop. There were three pieces of legislation that they have promised that we are very concerned about. Two of them pose an existential threat to our energy industry. All right, I want to attack that. Uh, you wrote a letter to the Prime Minister this week asking him to hold off on introducing the legislation. Now, in the letter, you outlined your plan to reduce emissions while at the same time creating jobs with that focus, as you said, primarily on uh, LNG. You said Alberta would be willing to work collaboratively with Ottawa to reduce emissions, but with one non-negotiable condition, and that included not introducing the transition plan. Now, you said it would pose an unconstitutional and existential threat to Alberta's economy, and some say that the use of that word unconstitutional sends a not-so-veiled message. Uh, in other words, back off, Mr. Trudeau, or we'll implement our own plan, the Sovereignty Act. Is that the message, and how steadfast you, uh, steadfast are you on the non-negotiable part? Well, we have to take the federal government seriously and at face value when they say that they're going to bring through legislation like they're proposing. They are proposing bringing through an emissions cap on our oil and natural gas industry that would cause them to reduce emissions 42% by 2030. That's only seven years away. They have also said they do do not want any new natural gas to be hooked onto our power grid by 2035. And anyone who is contemplating doing that would have to have their plans in place already 10 years out by 2025. So we would already start feeling the pinch of not being able to add new electricity onto our grid. Neither of those are areas that are within federal jurisdiction because both of them would necessitate a production cap. And we have the power under our constitution to determine how to develop our resources and to, de and to determine how to develop 
our energy grid, our electricity grid as well. But they've done this before. They brought through Bill C-69, which invades our jurisdiction. They brought through a uh, Bill C-48, which was a, a, a ban on export of bitumen off the coast of British Columbia. So when they tell me, yeah, we're thinking of doing these two things next, I have to take them seriously. Okay, and but if the, they threat, do, we're, we're the threat put, of the uh, Sovereignty Act... I hope we don't have to use it, and that's what I've always said. But I did say that uh, there were two circumstances that I was watching to see as potential cases for when we would have to use it. One was the emissions cap on oil and natural gas, which I just mentioned. The other was when they were floating the idea of an emissions cap on fertilizer. Interestingly, that was not mentioned in this uh, Just Transition plan. So it sounds to me like they have recognized and heard loud and clear, nobody wants the federal government going after our food producers, and we want them to, to take the same attitude about our, our energy sector workers. The world needs more Canadian energy. We're going to continue to push that message. We're going to work with our friends across the country and allies on, on being able to, to try to find new new products to get it to market. And we're hoping that we will be able to bring the federal government along with us. We haven't won this battle yet, not by a long shot. No, and you haven't walked away from talks. Yeah, I think the most important thing, and, and this is one of the things that uh, we understand is important. We, we already brought through an investment tax credit to stimulate the development of hydrogen. It's our Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program. Very well subscribed, very popular. 14 major projects got announced as a result of it. We're, what we're contemplating is can we expand that to include more projects that would reduce emissions, more carbon uh, capture utilization and storage technology and will the federal government meet us about meet us part way in being able to do that that's that's the next step that we're hoping to be able to see not only um in our upcoming budget but also their upcoming budget and i think that that sets us on a good track because that will be the solution when when we can find a way to capture co2 and bury it underground or put it into useful products that that is going to give long-term life to our energy sector we'll be able to continue to develop bitumen for asphalt use we'll be able to use natural gas for petrochemicals that's those are going to be long-term uses and even the report mentioned that that those are going to be long-term uses of those types of products and so th those are the kind of things that i think we can work to, uh, collaboratively with the federal government on if they'll meet us part way all right health care is still resonating with a lot of albertans it, it is one of the the top three uh, items of greatest concern the ndp has proposed a new model of integrated primary health teams that it says will take some pressure off hospitals and ambulances now it's reportedly similar to a successful model already in use uh, at a couple of clinics one in calgary one in Tabor. because of those successes would you agree that their proposal has some merit yes we're we, i think that everyone's coming to the same conclusion conclusion at the same time and that is so first of all healthcare is 42 percent of our budget so every single political party is very concerned about health care as part of the reason why it is a priority for the federal government as well in trying to come to the table to assist in additional financing so that we're able to accelerate some of the changes that we want to make. But I, I think that we have seen very clearly that the very best type of, of practice is one where you have a family doctor, a nurse practitioner, very, uh, various other allied health professionals, whether it's a dietitian or a nutritionist or a physiotherapist, all working together to give the best patient care care for an individual patient and we have to accelerate the implementation of those kinds of models we've already we've, we've had them in the pilot phase for long enough and so i think what you'll see with the with the doctor's agreement that jason copping negotiated what the doctors agreed to is that by the end of the term 25 percent of doctors will be under some kind of alternative payment system that would involve uh, having practices exactly like you just described so we're looking forward to accelerating that all right let's go to the 
phones. We'll hear from Ken in Camrose. He's been hanging on since before the show started. Ken, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, I've got uh, a bit of an unusual idea, perhaps. I, in the news this week, there was the the news that uh, the remand centre is going to be uh, demolished, the one in Edmonton. Uh, bec- and it's very, very a very, very well-built building. It was very, very strongly built. And I think that it would make a refurbished uh, an ideal location for some of the unhoused people in Edmonton. Um, I realize that there might be some stigma attached, but I think if it was it was refurbished, an architect could uh, could uh, make it a very homey place, and it could provide not just a a, play, a shelter for people to stay at, but it, it could be used to treat these people as well. Uh, and and it's as I say, a very strong building. A few years back, in the winter, a couple of years back, the, the convention center was terrible. Uh, temporarily used to house uh, some of the uh, people who needed shelter and there was a lot of damage done there well this building the old remand center uh, could withstand uh, some of the potential damage that could happen i know this is a strange idea perhaps uh, and maybe it's too late but i just wanted to put it out there well ken you and i think alike and i it was one of the very first questions that i asked as well when i became premier because it did seem to me we've got a real crisis of uh, of homeless in edmonton in particular but also in calgary and other uh, other of our mid-sized cities but the unfortunate thing about that building is that it's at the end of its of its useful life it is slated for demolition the cost associated with trying to bring it up to standard and the extra cost associated with the all of the operating expenses because of the way it's designed it's just not going to suit our purposes that being said we're going in this the direction that you propose we've we've started our first recovery community in um in red deer it's a 75 bed facility we've got i believe another 10 planned and so more of these uh smaller uh, community uh, community-based care models are going to be to be cropping up. We probably won't build something as large as 400 uh, beds, but that's that's part of the reason is just that they they had done an, a full assessment of it, and it it just was not um, the inappropriate facility, and the cost associated with bringing it up to grade was just way too high. We can do a lot better with modern facilities by building new. All right, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are indeed listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Chad, right here in Calgary on QR. Calgary, your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. So let's go right to those phones. And Justin is calling in from Edmonton on a, looks like a welfare question. Go ahead, Justin. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith. Hey, Justin. Uh, so can you please make the case why fiscal conservatives should vote for the UCP, considering your party seems to be committed to a lot of waste in corporate welfare, whether it is our star for, for cleaning up oil and gas wells that companies are already legally required to clean up, whether it's the Calgary Arena, which is nothing but corporate welfare and costs the city of Edmonton millions of dollars without provincial money being involved, or whether it or whether it's the Alberta Police Force that will spend a lot of money to do nothing that that the RCMPO cannot already do. Okay, well, I, I guess what I would say is that um, we... Let me deal with the, the first one. Uh, th- there is a liability program that we are... incentive program that we are looking at doing. 
And it's really to bridge off a federal program that uh, that took place. The, the federal government spent a billion dollars on site rehabilitation. I'm, I'm just sort of surprised. No one seems to be upset about that. Everybody heralded the program, accepted the program. It was wildly successful, wildly proper, pro, uh, popular, but it's coming to an end. And we have now uh, hundreds of companies that we don't want to see uh, lose the momentum that they have gained and the learning that they've gained. So there's two things that we're doing. One is that there is a requirement for companies to now spend, I think it's 3% of their liability they have to clean up every single year. They've got to pay for that out of their own money. But we are asking for an addition to look at an additional pilot program to make sure that we're dealing with the worst wells. What I observe with the site rehabilitation program is that no one was covering the, the wells that had been inactive in the province for over 20 years that, were, that used flare pits that had a, a massive liability associated with them. So I've seen a cleanup cost as high as $2 million on a single well. And what has happened is nobody wants to touch those in the event that it becomes that expensive. We need to incentivize cleaning up those worst sites because otherwise they're just going to keep getting pushed forward again and again and again. And the landowners are left nervous that no one's ever going to clean them up. So that's part of the reason why we're taking that kind of approach. And having incentive programs for the energy sector, we've done this all the time. We used to have flow-through shares. We had a 1% royalty on our oil cents so that they could pay off capital. We have a 5% royalty on traditional drilling so that they can pay off their capital costs. We have had accelerated depreciation. We had income trusts. So we have always used different mechanisms to try to support our industry in uh, in developing and and investing. So having them invest in something as as terrible as cleaning up these worst sites, it seems to me that's a, that's a that, that's going to be a good use of uh, of our resources. And the other part too is it, they have to pay their own money first. And then they only are able to have a lower royalty uh, payment uh, once they do new drilling. So they're going to have to pay all of the cost of cleanup first. We just want to make sure that there's a, a little bit of a reward for those companies who are dealing with the very worst wells in Alberta. When it comes to the arena, we've made no commitment. We just said we want to do whatever we can to help. We're under a non-disclosure agreement. No one's asked me for anything yet. So we'll see what comes up out of that. And when it comes to the um, the sheriffs, they seem to be pretty popular as far as I can tell. The uh, We announced that the sheriffs were going to, to coming, be coming to Calgary. They were going to be embedded in Edmonton a couple of weeks ago and everyone said, well, when do we get our sheriffs? So I, I may have to disagree with you a little bit, Justin, on that. I think that our, our sheriffs are, are increasingly going to play a role in assisting with uh, with pro- providing some of the, the holes that we currently see in our, our policing framework in Alberta. And I don't, I'm not getting any pushback on that, quite frankly. When do you expect the uh, sheriffs to be uh, on the streets here in Calgary? I think it's a 15-week pilot program. From what I've heard from um, Minister Mike Ellis, I think it starts February the 27th, and so we'll be seeing it very shortly here. All right. A text message from Brad. Uh, Good morning, Premier Smith. What are you going to do about the price of diesel fuel? It hasn't come down in price very much. As a private citizen, I'm not able to pass this on to a customer as a fuel surcharge like they do in the transportation industry. Uh, I haven't looked at the prices of diesel across the the country, but I suspect that it parallels what we're seeing with the price of gasoline. And what we are seeing is that we continue to have the lowest rates of uh, of fuel prices in the entire country. I want to give you an idea because we just posted this on my social media in the last couple of days as a a bit of an update. The uh, fuel price in Alberta is on average $1.24.7 per litre. In British Columbia, it's $1.74.7 per litre. That is a 50 cent difference. A 50 cent difference in every single litre that you're using for every single vehicle trip, for every transportation 
transportation um, uh, vehicle that is delivering goods and services. Every time you take your kids to an event, anytime you pick up groceries, everything this is th- that that uh, underpins the cost of everything we buy is 50 cents per liter cheaper than our neighbor in British Columbia. So I would say that if I looked at the diesel prices, I, I would hazard a guess that it's very similar. And um, there's a couple of things that I've seen occur. Imperial Oil has announced that they're doing an expansion of their refining capacity for biodiesel. And I suspect you'll see more of that. We have got the very best environment for investment in that kind of uh, of, of uh, additional refining capacity. And I've had a couple of other refineries suggest to me that they may, they'd be looking at it here. So that's what we've got to do is just uh, expand the the, uh, the capacity out. All right. Lorna is calling in from Edmonton. Uh, go ahead. Lorna, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Premier Smith. I have two questions. Um, the first one is, I uh, uh, yesterday I heard that the Chinese had interfered in our federal elections, and one of their tactics was that they employed people supposedly as volunteers but had a, a way of diverting funds so that the people um, working on elections could be paid for their services. And that ended up interfering in 11 ridings. Uh, my question is, when I was working in the public service, my union dues were being paid to our, our unions. And there was a question that when the unions couldn't um, fund the NDP directly, they were using funds and saying that they were doing union work when, in fact, the, the union people were going out and doing um, what should be voluntary uh, political work for, on behalf of the NDP government. My question is, is there a way to be, that we can be reassured that they can't be doing that in our provincial elections? Because as a union member, I didn't appreciate my dues being used that way. And the second question I have is that on January 26th, CTV uh, ran a news article that showed where the ruts in the Edmonton roads were causing accidents, where literally a car was thrown into a parked car because the ruts hadn't been properly taken care of for street cleaning by the city of Edmonton. Yet our government, the municipal government, they chose to delegate $100 million to bike lanes when they weren't taking proper care of our streets. Is there any recourse that the public has to sue either the city of Edmonton or the, any of the, the, elect, um, the councillors that voted in favour of $100 million for bike lanes versus taking care of the streets, what they are actually being uh, elected to do? Do we have any recourse? And then for the provincial government, if improper street care is happening, that's adding to our insurance costs that everybody is complaining about in our province right now as well. All yeah. right. You've got a whole lot of stuff there, Lorna. We'll let Premier Smith tackle. Well, first I would say that we, we tend, to, we tend to, to treat our municipalities uh, independently on the, the issues within their own borders. So I know that the uh, council members in Edmonton have heard loud and clear about that concern, about the uh, money being spent on bike lanes versus all of the other priorities. But you've got the same power that any other person has to start a petition 
petition campaign and recall any elected official if you don't think that they're doing a good job for you. We passed that legislation, declared it into law on April 27th. You can get 40% of your fellow citizens in your ward to ask for a new election, then we will have a new election uh, in that particular ward. That That's a power that's available at the provincial level, at the uh, municipal level, as well as at the school board level. So the power is in your hands. If you think people are that angry about it, then uh, that, that's the, the tool I would use. You can look it up. It's called the Recall Act. The, um, the other issue that you'd raised about uh, the elections, oh, the, uh, the campaign funding. The, the campaign funding, I have to say, uh, both, it doesn't matter which uh, party has gotten into power, all of them are trying to take big money out of the influence in politics. So no one can contribute money directly to a political party or political candidate if it's a corporation or a union. Uh, PACs have created, they're called third-party advertisers. There are rules around them. They're not allowed to coordinate with uh, with candidates. And I think there's additional rules that unions are not allowed to to use any dues towards advocacy or non-core work without getting permission from their members. When it comes to people who are using their time to go and volunteer for campaigns. I, I, I don't have any evidence that's happening. I'm not sure if they're, what we would be able to do about it if it if it was. But uh, let me take that away. I don't think there's anything specific in the act that would prevent that from occurring. But it does seem to me that's kind of a management issue that uh, you, it wouldn't be normal that a manager would let their entire staff go so no. that they could go do, do door knocking on a, on a Thursday afternoon. So With, with union money. So I, I, I recognize your frustration, but I, but I, I think I need a little bit more detail to know the extent to which that's happening. Everybody's allowed to do whatever they want on their on their private time and on their volunteer time. We don't have the uh, we don't own everybody's a hundred percent of everybody's hours. And so if uh, somebody happens to be a union worker that wants to door knock in the evenings, there's there's nothing I can say about that. All right. A related question to Lorna's concern about roads in Edmonton. Uh, this is a texter uh, from Calgary area. Premier Smith, you need to take a drive out to northeastern Alberta, specifically St. Paul County, where highways here are absolutely worn out. We're trying to keep new equipment on the road, but after a year or so, we're having to replace suspension parts. Please pass some emergency funding to get something done here this summer. There's a, uh, you'll see in the upcoming budget, which is coming down on February the 28th, that there is a very robust capital plan. And I, I hope that we are able to demonstrate that we've prioritized and met the need, the highest need in, in every community. I know that our transportation minister, Devin Dreeshen, worked very hard on that. But why don't we defer that comment until after the budget and you can tell me what we what we may have missed so that I can, I can make note of it. But I, I know that there is a huge need all across the province. And that's why there's going to be a, a very robust plan for the next few years. Any other hints that you can give us about what's coming up in the budget? You know, uh, healthcare. You said that's a, a a big issue that everybody is concerned about. There's got to be something there. I am going to let all the fanfare go to the person who deserves <laughs> it, which is our finance minister, Travis Taves. He has just done a tremendous job and put so many hours into this. Last year, we ran a balanced budget. Uh, I can tell you that uh, he's committed to making sure that we continue to run balanced budgets. But he's uh, he's done a, a terrific balance, I think, of helping us to look long term to address our long term debt address our long-term savings as, a, as well as meet the urgent need that we have. So February 28th is going to be a good day for him. All right. Once that budget comes down, will you be dropping the writ for the election? <laughs> uh, no. Soon after, though, we I committed when I got elected that uh, the, the, the former premier had put in law that the election date would be May the 29th. And I kind of liked that certainty that there was an actual date to be working towards. And so I, I committed that we would that we would stick with that date. So I think that means that we don't drop the written until May the 1st. All right. Don has a question on voting. Don calling in from Edmonton. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. 
Hi, Danielle. Um, actually, uh, I'm, I know the county of St. Paul well, and the uh, potholes are horrendous. Uh, there's ones on the side right as soon as you go off the shoulder, so if you want to pull over to take a, so the other car coming up behind you doesn't hit you, they're like six inches to uh, eight inches deep, and they didn't even get them all filled in. Now they're full of ice and snow, so they're a little bit smoother. Um, but that wasn't what I was calling. Um, in Edmonton right now, they're going to do their um, uh, restoring the neighborhoods. Now, I have a property in Otwell. We have really nice sidewalks. They've got the smooth edges. They're all fine. Um, and um, they want to spend fourth of, they want people to pay $4,100 for every 50 feet. But the thing is, if you don't, if you want to vote against them, you have to go get a, somebody to witness your signature, go in front of a commissioner of votes, and it has to be 51%. Now, the lady, Ashley Salvador, that is the uh, lady in the area that uh, was voted in council, she only got 34.5% of the vote. But if we're in a democracy, why? if we want our sidewalks redone, we want to lose our parking, we want the sidewalks widened um, for bicycle lanes and all the rest of it, I would rather have my money go to fill the potholes in Edmonton. Mm. And the other, the other thing is, I know I'm rambling a bit, um, there was two neighbourhoods that were done, Bonnie Dune and Rosedale, and they have problems with the concrete call, uh, crumbling. And we also know that the LRT, the, all their pillars are crumbling as well. So why are we wasting money and why do we not get, if you want it done, to vote instead of you have to vote against it? And if they don't get 51%, then they're going to go ahead with the project regardless. So, John, are you suggesting that we need to have referendum on all of those issues that you described? Because that's the only difficulty that I can see is that there are the, the, the notion that we have around referendum is usually that if it's a really big issue that people will want to weigh on in Edmonton, it was the Edmonton City Centre Airport down here. It was whether or not to have the Olympics. People want to be able to have a say. But do, do you think that most people want to be able to have a vote on whether to improve uh, sidewalks or not? The thing is, is what they're doing is they're letting, if you don't vote and you don't get the notice on time and you don't go to the meeting, they're voting for you. You're not, and then the hoops you have to go through to vote against it, uh, it's easier to go down and, and, and vote in an election. Do you have, a, do you have I, a solution for me about how to, how to handle that? I guess the, the thing is, I, I think it costs about $200,000 every time you want to do a referendum. Trying to do a referendum on a community-by-community community basis, I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out a process that you're looking for to be able to address the concern. If we want the sidewalks replaced, we should have to fill out a form, sign it, maybe somebody can witness it and then send it in and say, yes, we want it replaced. If we don't want it replaced, we shouldn't have to vote. All right, let me see what I can do with our municipal affairs minister. It's always tricky to figure out what the, the process should be on these. I mean, I think the we try to have a balance of having things that would go to a general vote through a referendum versus the representative democracy of letting our local uh, uh, council member or MLA make the decision on our behalf. I mean, I, as I said, I don't like to meddle too much in municipal affairs. So I'll, I'll take it back to our municipal affairs minister and see if there's some way that we can get a better process at, so that there, so it's a little bit more responsive. But I, I, ca I can't come up with any good ideas right here on the fly, Don, I'm afraid. All right. A couple of text messages, uh, Premier Smith. Uh, these relating to drug issues uh let's see who it is coming from uh first of all this one says it's way past time to address the demand side of the drug use problem it's pervasive dedicated education classes is key from k through grade 12 it's hard to get results at home when parents tell children not to do drugs and they're doing it themselves uh, that's the first text second one uh, from someone else 
Uh, I had an ambulance trip in January with lots of time to talk to paramedics. The night I was there, they said a third of their calls were for overdoses. Will there be a separate facility set up to handle these overdoses? Complicated. This was at Foothills in Calgary, and that text from Anne. So a couple of... uh, drug-related questions there for you. Completely. We're three and a half years into an eight-year program on our recovery-oriented system of care. You'll see it on Showcase on Tuesday, actually, because we've got a a nationwide conference. It may actually be North America-wide, because my chief of staff is just the foremost leader in um, addictions treatment on on focused on recovery. So you will begin to see the difference in the coming coming years as we complete our recovery communities, as we uh, expand our number of beds. I think we've gone from 4,000 treatment beds to 8,000 treatment beds. They used to charge $40 per day for anyone to access that treatment. Now it's available for free. We also have the ability to get access to any of the opioid replacement programs immediately. And we are, our approach is going to be that anyone who wants to have a, a, a treatment bed and, and go down that pathway should be able to immediately get access to that treatment without having to pay for it. So that's where we're headed to and we're partway into that type of approach. So I agree it's got, it's got to be the, the, the number one approach for exactly the same the reason that was described there is that it puts a lot of pressure on our ambulance services who are being called out multiple times in a night and if they have to transport a patient puts a, a ton of, of additional pressure on our hospital services we we have a a, a a contract that we signed in Edmonton with the facility that's doing convalescence for those who are um, who are homeless who come to a hospital and need a place to be able to stay and recover and then hopefully be able to connect them with with treatment services I think we agreed to fund 36 beds we're hoping that we can open up a similar facility in Calgary for exactly the same reason is that they we've got parallel problems in Calgary and Edmonton and the uh, the idea of doing some more some more anti-drug advertising it in, does kind of schools, a, it yeah. kind of appeals to me I remember when I was the two that stayed with me because I I never really got into drugs I I drink wine but and and I like craft beer but I was never really interested in anything else and maybe it was because of that uh, that ad where they had the fry pan this is your oh, and this is your, your brain. brain with an egg yes. and then breaking it open and having it fry in the pan saying this is your brain on drugs there was also a really effective one I remember of a woman who looked like a beautiful model talking about her heroin addiction and as she talked, her fake hair came out and her fake palette came out and they took the makeup off and you could see that she just ravished her body, ravaged her body with um, because of the, the, the terrible uh, the terrible effects that those drugs have. And the fact that those have stayed with me to this day makes me wonder if, if perhaps there is some value in us re, uh, resurrecting that kind of messaging because I know... I know people think it's recreational, think it's fun, think they can handle it, but there's a certain percentage of the population that uh, can get addicted just off their first try. And once they've gone down that path, it is very, very hard to come back. So preventing people from getting on in the first place is really important. But once somebody has found themselves in the throes of addiction, giving them a pathway out, telling them we have not given up on them, that they can get clean, that I think is uh, our obligation too. So more of the public advertising, the public promotion, rather than education within the schools, because... Goodness knows we don't want to rock we, that you know, boat too much. Well, we, our schools, <laughs> gosh, I know everybody says, let the schools do it. My goodness, our poor teachers, they have they have had quite a, a couple of years. I mean, they're, what we're trying to do right now is make sure, and you may have seen this this past week that Adriana LaGranger, education minister, announced a program to help deal with learning loss in the K-3 to area. I, th- I think that at the moment, we've got to make sure that we're catching our kids up for any learning loss that might have happened in the last two and a half years. So I don't want to put too, any, any more burden on, on the schools, but 
but that I, I think both of those ads I saw, I, I would have seen on public television. I don't think I saw them in the classroom, but they sure stayed with me. Okay, let's go to Dave in Calgary. Dave's been hanging on here for, gosh, almost since the start of the show. Dave, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. And thanks uh, for your patience. Uh, my, my pleasure. Good, good morning, Premier. Uh, Hi. As you know, the Law Society of Alberta is a self-regulating professional body for lawyers in Alberta. I wonder if you would share your thoughts about whether the mandate of the Law Society uh, is limited to the regulation of core issues such as ethics and professional competence, or if that mandate extends to social and political re-education of lawyers who place their license to practice in peril if they do not submit to and comply with the extraordinary uh, requirements to undertake non-core, meaning it doesn't go to ethics or professional competence, uh, these non-core social and political re-education uh, items newly mandated by the Law Society, which, notably, the Law Society changed, its, rule, changed it, its rules to expand its mandate to engage these non-core social political re-education policies. That was added under Rule 67.4. And I wonder if Premier has any thoughts on uh, on on this incursion into personal freedoms uh, of lawyers by their professional bodies. And lastly, I wonder if Premier uh, thinks a self-regulating body that oversteps its mandate should remain self-regulating. Perhaps it's time for a dialogue between the Premier's office and the leadership of the Law Society. Well, I certainly know how Dave feels about that issue. And uh, I'm watching it closely because I, I think we're all watching what's happening with Jordan Peterson and his re-education that's been assigned by his regulatory college as well, College of Psychologists. Um, the, we have have many, many uh, privately uh, self-regulating professions in this province. And if we continue to see emerging issues, then we may have to do something about it. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's gotten to that point yet. It would require a lot of consultation. But my view of the, these regulatory bodies is why did we set them up in the first place? It, it seems to me we want them focused on malpractice. We want it to be generated from clients who felt they had a bad experience, not some one of your colleagues who doesn't think you're woke enough. And so that's the issue that I think we're facing is that there's a lot of complaints that seem to be coming forward of one professional complaining against another professional because they don't share the same philosophy in life or the same politics. And that's not what they're supposed to be about. We have to make sure that they're focused on what they should be about, which is ensuring that anybody who's engaging in bad practice is uh, identified, brought before a commission, and and uh, and held to account for that. So I think there, there there's a little bit of mission creep there, and I've just begun to see a couple of, of pretty stark examples of it. I want to get a better sense of how of how stark the, the the problems are. We we know that they're a problem on campus. This is why Demetrius Nicolaitis has talked about bringing through a report card to make sure that we have robust free speech happening on university campuses. And if we have to to have a similar type of approach that we take with our professional bodies, I'm open to having that conversation. All right. Uh, just before we head off to a break, I have one further question. I said I was going to address it off the top of the show, and that is the latest poll. This one from Leger. Some positive news for the UCP. Some gains in Calgary. An eight-point turnaround, if my math is correct. The NDP led by three points in the Leger poll in October, and it now says the UCP is up by five. Edmonton, though, remains NDP territory. And as we discussed last week, Premier Smith, there's really a, a lot of work still to be done 
there there is. I, I always look at trends over a longer period of time because yeah, polls at any given point in time, as you know, fluctuate. But I think the trend is in the right direction for us. We, we had lost the confidence of the public. Uh, there's no question about it. It's why we had turmoil in our party and why we had a, a leadership change. But but I think the fact that the team came together and the, 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 that I have such a strong team of cabinet ministers who every day are working hard out there making announcements that are really improving the lives of Albertans. I think that's the proving ground is that people can see that we can get our act together. We can focus on the things that matter, which are the issues that Albertans care about. And I think they're willing to give us another chance. That's what I'm looking at. But we, we still have to do a little bit more proving. And we'll see what happens on Budget Day. We certainly will. There's going to be a lot of good news coming out of that. All right. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier, your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. If you have a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, the numbers to phone or text in Calgary, 403-974-8255, in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Let's get right to the phones. Uh, Diane has been uh, hanging on for quite some time. Uh, some time. Uh, Diane, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Hi, Danielle. So I have a question. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for the $50 a month that you give towards our electricity. I looked at my natural gas portion of my bill, and every couple of months they add more things. I'm with MX, but I've been told by MX that it occurs for everybody from every provider. So I spent in December $137 for my energy, but my bill is $399. And so I started wondering why, and I talked to them. I'm a fixed, so I'm still paying $60 on my bill here for a fixed and variable charge. The rate and administration I get, the carbon tax I'm not happy about, but now the Calgary city of Calgary has got a franchise fee. So when I'm paying three times the amount of what I'm actually spending, I'm beginning to feel like I'm taken. And when I talk to people in my community and at work, they're complaining the same thing. We all feel like we're being taken. And I'm hoping you can look into this or or find out why there's continually added charges um, by the natural gas provider. You're very right to be frustrated, Diane. And I can tell you, Matt Jones is our affordability and utilities minister. And I pulled that out specifically because I wanted him to to dig into this. So the first step was at least trying to defray some of the costs during this this winter period on both electricity and gas, which is why we put two programs in place for price protection. The next step is figuring out what the heck is going on with all those charges, municipal franchise fees, the distribution charges, the transmission charges. It's a, it's a bit of a longer process that he's going through. But when you look at our system versus systems in other jurisdictions, it's almost a a perfect flip. You're supposed to only spend about 30% of your bill on transmission and distribution, and we're about... 60% or more. So there's a there's a problem here. Part of it is that we um, the uh, the uh, Alberta Electric System operator approved the build out of excessive amounts of transmission and that gets uh, worked into the price of your of your power bill and we're we're continuing to do that. We're continuing to see that there is uh, there are projects that are being proposed for which there's no proponent. I've heard about that up in uh, in Wainwright which makes me scratch my head. So we've got we've got some real problems there, but it's it's very difficult to to resolve them in a very short period of time. Uh, Matt Jones is all over it. If you've got some thoughts that you want to send his way, do. But we're, he's in the in the process of figuring out the best way to consult on that. And if we can find 
find some way to uh, to defray those costs. We, we certainly will, but we're not able to do it this season, unfortunately, but hopefully we'll be able to get it in place for next season. All right. Karen is uh, texting in on the Calgary QR Calgary line. Uh, would there be some documentation available to support the UCP claim that the NDP raised taxes 97 times? And I believe that's in reference to uh, one of the uh, ads for the UCP that is now running. I I can see if the if we, where we got the um, the documentation for that. I remember being on a phone call where somebody asked that exact point before we put them out. They said, "Can we be certain that they raised them ninety seven times?" And so it has been verified. So let me see what I can do to to try to get you some of that documentation. I've got one of my comms guys who is uh, listening in. So I'll I'll let you I'll let you know if he gets back to me before the end of the show. All right, Chris calling in from Calgary. Scanning licenses for uh, for lotteries. Go ahead, Chris. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, I'm rather upset because I was traveling through southern Alberta this morning and I went to a 7-Eleven store thinking, oh, I'm outside of Calgary, maybe I'll try and buy a lottery ticket here. And they said, I'm sorry, sir, you can't buy a lottery ticket unless we scan your driver's license, the back of your driver's license. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. Only the police can do that. No, no, we can do that too. We have to do that in order to get you a lottery ticket. I'm sorry. That isn't going to cut it, and that'll kill the lottery faster than anything because I know people don't want digital IDs, and I know people don't want their back their driver's license scanned without knowing where exactly that data is going. Chris, is it Why because is you that... look like you're younger than 18? I'm wondering that might be the reason. Well, you know what? I'm 63 years old. Okay. I look like I'm 18? <laughs> I don't think so. I only wish. Send me a picture of your driver's license. You know, I, I have not heard exactly. that. I, I've been known, especially when it gets up over $25 million, I've been known to buy a lottery ticket or two myself. I have never been asked for my ID, so I don't know if Adam, that is a particular Adam store Premier, policy. I, yeah, I have no problem showing you my ID. The problem I have is why are you scanning it with your scanner? You should not be... No retail operation should be scanning my driver's license. I agree with you. I'm just saying I... The people that should be doing that are registries and police. I'm agreeing with you. I, I wasn't the person running the scanner and, and I don't own that store. So that's what I'm saying to you. I wonder if it's this store policy. So let me look into it because I, well, bought, I bought lottery... I'm just telling you, but I, I, I'm just I'm telling my friend, I've, I've, I've bought lottery tickets before. It's not happened to me. So I don't know if it was an isolated experience or if there's a new policy. So I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to look into it. Yep. Chris, we'll get the uh, take the premier at her word that that is something that we'll take a look at. All right. Uh, next question is uh, Will with an oil company's question. Go ahead, Will. You're on with Premier Daniel Smith. Will, are you, are you there? Uh, is that me? Yes, that's you. Sorry, the cats were fighting there. I had to separate them. <laughs> Good morning, Danielle. Hey, Will. Um, I'm just curious. I don't follow the news that closely, but I'm wondering why the oil companies have not been taken to court and forced to clean up their messes if they're legally responsible instead of giving money to an industry with record profits. I just, you know, I... Rather, rather curious about that. Well, I think it's because there's a, a policy in place that they will clean it up eventually. And I've been watching this, and eventually, here we are 60 years later, and some of these wells haven't cleaned up. So we need to do something different. So we, uh, the federal government last year spent a billion dollars in doing a site rehabilitation program that I think got things kick-started. And we want to make sure we don't lose that momentum. So we have a couple of policies in place. One is to have a mandatory spend each year. 3% is what the, the uh, 
companies are going to have to pay to clean up their uh, their sites. And in addition to that, we want to make sure that some of those worst wells that keep getting pushed off decade after decade are addressed. So that's the approach we're going to take. We've got to try to do something different because what we've been doing so far hasn't worked. All right. Fraser has texted in with some additional information on that scanning. Uh, he says it's a new 7-Eleven policy of scanning licenses for all age-restricted items. But again, uh, to Chris's point, uh, you can present the license for your ID, but the scanning part uh, where that information is held, uh, that's something that does need to be looked into, in, in my humble opinion. If it's, a, if it's a 7-Eleven policy, I just want to be clear, that's not a government policy. That would be a 7-Eleven policy. I, I can check with uh, Dale Nally, and maybe I'd encourage Chris to, to call Dale Nally. He's our service Alberta and red tape reduction minister to see if there's anything that they're doing that is not in compliance. My, my understanding of the way those scanners work is that they don't retain the information. It's just it's just verification that you are old enough to be able to purchase the the price. If that's what their policy is, is you've got to be over eighteen and they and they scan just to verify that that uh, that's a Seven Eleven policy. I'm I'm not sure if there would be any law against that because I do know that in Edmonton they were doing the same thing on liquor stores and it massively reduced the amount of shoplifting and crime that took place in liquor stores. And so um, I, I would be reluctant to say that the, our liquor stores aren't able to do that if it's been able to to protect the the business owners so i want to understand a little bit more about the about the policy but it sounds like it's an individual store policy not a government policy all right well premier danielle smith we've run out of time and uh you know the phone lines were just jammed today text messages can't keep up on either the qr calgary line or the ched line so many great questions that we didn't get to and we'll have to address try to address some of them uh, again uh, at our next show so Thank you for joining us today. You bet. Thanks, Wayne. We'll do this at the same time. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.